Good morning, Fellowship Greenville. It is so good to see smiling faces, and I know those of you that are wearing masks are smiling under the masks. So good. Uh, you know, I don't mind preaching to an empty room if that's the way it has to be, but it's much better to see people out there rather than eight by 10 color glossies of our staff, every other one being Mike Hawkins. Uh, so, um, you know, and uh, those of you that are watching from home, or maybe you're driving to or from, coming back from somewhere, we're glad that you're joining us on online today. Uh, hopefully, it won't be much longer until, in the words of Buck Owens, we are together again. So, uh, by the way, if this is your first time joining with us, welcome. We're glad you've chosen to worship with us today. And uh, one thing that we want you to know about our church is that uh, most often, on Sunday mornings, if you're attending here on a regular basis, you'll find that we are studying our way through whole books of the Bible. And since last fall, we have been in a study in the, in the Gospel of John. But this summer, we've taken a break from that series, and we're doing a topical series we call Disciple. Disciple. And there are all kinds of ways to talk about discipleship, but the way that we talk about it around here is like this. That discipleship is doing life with Jesus in community and on mission. Discipleship is doing life with Jesus in community and on mission. We like that because it's pretty easy to get your head around that. These are kinds of the, the, the rhythms of life uh, for a disciple. And the, the way we illustrate that definition is by using this uh, triangle. And the triangle helps us see that, that e each one of these rhythms are interconnected, each one necessary for the carrying out of the other. And so uh, over the summer, we are doing uh, three messages on life with Jesus, three messages life in community, three messages life on mission. And Jim has done an awesome job over the last two weeks as he's unpacked the first two parts of pursuing life with Jesus. And he's helped us to see that, number one, we are all invited to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus. His quote, and I like this, he says, the ultimate result of being with Jesus is life like Jesus. And the second thing that Jim helped us see uh, uh, last week is that uh, to be a, a disciple of Jesus means that our lives need to be shaped by the book. It means being a scripture-saturated person. So the goal of discipleship is to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus. And the first way that we live with Jesus today is by being in his word, by, by being a scripture-saturated disciple. But there's something else that we need to understand about being with Jesus uh, today, and that is not only do we need to be in the Word, we also need to be led by the Spirit. So to be a disciple of Jesus today means to be led by the Spirit. I received an email back when we kicked off the disciple series, and a guy wrote, uh, I watched your sermon from this past Sunday on discipleship. From the examples of young Jewish boys being disciples of a rabbi or from the apostles being disciples of Jesus, it looks like that's a full-time calling. Those people didn't do anything else. So can a person be a disciple of Jesus today if they're not in full-time ministry? And I thought that was a great question. Now, my reply went something like this. Discipleship for the 12 apostles was most definitely a call to full-time ministry. 
But in Mark 8, we see that Jesus also extended his call to discipleship to a large crowd of ordinary people. Most of those people went back to their jobs and businesses and sought to live as faithful followers of Jesus based on the teaching that they had heard from him. That is, up until Pentecost. Um, After Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, and ascended back into heaven, God sent his spirit to live inside all who put their faith in Jesus. And what we find in the rest of the New Testament are specific instructions on how to live as a disciple of Jesus by being led by the Spirit. The majority of the disciples who filled the churches of Corinth and Galatia and Ephesus and Philippi and Colossae and Thessalonica, they were ordinary people who learned the truth about Jesus from the apostles and later by the writings of the apostles and by learning to be led by the Spirit. And that's what I want to talk about today because there's this question, you know, if discipleship is being with Jesus to become like Jesus, then how do we do that today? Because Jesus is obviously no longer physically present with us. So how are we to be with Jesus today? And we do it by being led by the Spirit. Now, I want to prove that to you from Scripture. And I'm going to follow Jim's outline pattern from last week, kind of. I'm going to give you three pictures of doing life with Jesus by being led by the Spirit, and then we'll look at one response to those three pictures. Now, I know Jim gave you five pictures and five responses. I'm going to do it in three and one. Uh, It's a more Trinitarian approach, I believe. But uh, anyway, so picture number one comes from John chapter 14. Uh, Picture this scene in your mind. Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples, and they are having their last supper together before he is betrayed by Judas Iscariot and arrested and tried. And by the way, I ran across a a picture of Leonardo da Vinci's last supper during the pandemic in that day, and this was how it looked via Zoom call. (laughs) Uh, I I got a kick out of that. So, So anyway, keep that picture in mind. Well, not that picture, but but, uh, the picture of Jesus with his disciples in in the upper room. Now, listen to what Jesus says to them as he tells them what to expect in the future. He says in John 14, 15, and most of the passages I'm gonna put up on the screen or I'm just gonna read to you today, okay? So John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. In other words, you'll be a scripture-saturated person. Verse 16, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, there's a lot of things in that passage, but I want you to focus on just two things. First of all, Jesus has told his disciples that he will only be with them a little while longer, meaning they'll only be able to be with him, with him a little while longer. But he says, the Father, when I go away, the Father will send you another helper, another helper like me, who will be with you forever. And he calls this other helper the spirit of truth who has been with them in the person of Jesus, and he will be in them after Jesus returns to the Father. You following me? Everybody with me? So then he says, I will not leave you on your own. 
I will come to you. I will come to you. He says the time is coming when I will be in with the Father and you will be in me and I will be in you. So here's what I want you to see. Disciples of Jesus continue to live with Jesus today because the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, lives in us. Jesus is going back into heaven, but he will send his Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to take his place, and in the future, his disciples will continue to be with him because his Spirit lives in them. Now, he says, uh, he, he amplifies this over in chapter 16, verse 7. He says, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. So why is it to our advantage for Jesus to return to the Father? Because when Jesus was physically present on earth, he could only be with a specific number of disciples at one place at one time. But if Jesus, God with us, comes to live inside us in the person of the Holy Spirit, then Jesus can be with all of his disciples in all places at all times. Comprende? Okay, you with me? All right, so summary, picture number one. Uh, the Holy Spirit is Jesus living in us. He is the way we live with Jesus today. The Holy Spirit living in us, he's the way that we live with Jesus today. Okay, picture number two. Uh, we're gonna start in 2 Corinthians chapter three. Again, I'm gonna put the scripture on the screen, but then we're gonna go back to the Old Testament for our picture. Um, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, 16, but when someone turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now, what's that about? Just hold on, we'll get to it. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now, actually, the picture and context here is found back in Exodus 34. You don't have to turn there. I'll paint the picture by reading the story to you, so I want you just to listen. And you remember last week, Jim talked about the benefits of just listening to Scripture, so that's what we're gonna do. Verse 29, 34, Exodus 34, 29, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, Moses did not know the skin of his face was shining because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face was shining brilliantly bright, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with him. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face, until he went into the cloud to speak to the Lord again. So in this story, Moses, on a regular basis, ha was having encounters with the living God, with what Exodus calls the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God, which at that time was God's presence located in a cloud, kind of a precursor to the Holy Spirit in you and me. And after every encounter with the living God, Moses is changed. He is transformed to the point that his face is literally shining like a maglite. And I think that would be pretty scary. So to reduce the scariness, he wore a veil over his face when he told the people what God had told him to tell them. 
Now, there's one thing and one thing only that I want you to notice in this story, and that is, who all has access to God? Not a trick question. I mean, Moses. Moses and who else? No one else. Moses and Moses alone. Not even the high priest, not the leaders of Israel, not the average Joseph or Josephine. Only Moses had direct access to the presence of God. This was life under the old covenant. That's the picture. Now, back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. If you read all of chapter 3, you'll notice that the whole thing is written over and against the backdrop of the story that I just read to you from Exodus 34. So look back at 2 Corinthians 3, verse 7. Now, if the ministry that brought death, he's talking about the law, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory. The law had some glory. So that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? So Paul is contrasting the ministry of the law and the ministry of the Spirit. He's contrasting the story of Moses being with God in the cloud and his face shining and having to be covered by a veil so not to scare the people with the fact that all God's people are able now to live in the presence of God through the Holy Spirit today. Look at verse 13. We're not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away, but their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because, look at this, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses has read, a veil covers his heart. Now, finally, we come to our text. Let's work through it a line at a time. Now the Lord is the Spirit. Now, the Lord is Jesus. But here he is saying the Lord, Jesus, is the Holy Spirit. And so what he means by the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit is, uh, Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Now, in this context, Paul is writing about how people are set free from the bondage to Old Testament law. How are they set free? When people turn to Jesus, um, they are set free because the Holy Spirit comes to take up residence in their life, and they're free from the old covenant. Our lives, life change doesn't come through the law, through rules and rituals. We're set free from all that because we enter into a new covenant relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. Okay, 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 okay. but let's get clear on this. You know, what, when Paul talks about the Holy Spirit, what is he exactly talking about? Well, the best definition I know to help us understand the person of the Holy Spirit is this. The Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence. God's empowering presence. The Holy Spirit is a person, the third person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a spirit, a non-physical person. Or to put it another way, the Holy Spirit is the person and the power and the presence of God. The person, the power, the presence of God. So the Holy Spirit is not an it. And he's not, he's not a force like, don't think Star Wars. Well, think Star Wars, but just not about the Holy Spirit. I mean, but, 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 but honestly, this is the... One of the most common heresies in the church today, I read a study a while back, a massive nationwide study about 
on the followers of Jesus and what they believe. And, and uh, they were asked in the survey, um, is the Holy Spirit a person or a force? And 70-something percent said a force, a force. The Holy Spirit is a he in the language of the New Testament. Not an it, a person that you are in relationship with, not a force to wield, as, off, as awesome as that might be. The Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence. He is a person and a power. Now, it was the Spirit who empowered Jesus to say and do the work that he did, and it's the Spirit living in you that does the exact same thing in you and me today. In the language of the New Testament, your, your body has become a temple of the Holy Spirit, meaning your body, your mind, and all that you are, get this, has become a place of overlap between heaven and earth. Because the Spirit lives in you, your body, your mind, all that you are is a place of overlap between heaven and earth. Now, we could talk about that, but let's, let's move on. Now, look at verse 18. And we all, how many of us? All of us. We all, not just Moses, not just one man. All of us who, with unveiled faces, that's Moses' lingo. I mean, they were wearing masks back then too, I guess. We're all like Moses. We all have full access to God, all of us. Uh, not just one or two of us, not me because I'm a pastor, which means that my prayers are not any more effective than yours, by the way. All of you, all of us have the same access to God. We all, with unveiled faces, behold the glory of the Lord, meaning that as we reflect on and meditate on and contemplate the greatness and the goodness and the glory of Jesus, use whatever language, New Testament language, like as you walk by the Spirit, as you abide in the vine, as you practice the presence of God, as you live into this back and forth communication and communion with the Holy Spirit, what does he say happens? He says, as we contemplate the glory of Jesus, we are being transformed. It's the Greek word metamorpho, which is where we get the word metamorphosis and in English, think caterpillar transforming into a butterfly. It's that imagery here. Meaning, we are changed, transformed. It's the complete radical overhaul of your entire person from the inside out to become more and more like our rabbi Jesus from one degree of glory to another, meaning that every day, every week, every month, we move forward in our journey of transformation, and it's the Holy Spirit, it's the ministry of the Spirit that's making us to become more and more like Jesus. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So, here's Paul's big idea for this whole thing. The way we become like Jesus today is by allowing the Holy Spirit to do his transforming work in our life. The ministry of the Spirit in your life and my life is to do a transforming work. Gordon Fee, who in my opinion is the top Pentecostal scholar in the English-speaking world today, he has this to say about the passage that I just read. Quote, through Christ and by the Spirit, we are being transformed so as to bear the likeness for which we were intended at the beginning. By the Spirit, we not only come to know God, but come to live in his presence in such a way as we constantly are being renewed into God's image. Now, here's the point. 
If you downplay the role of the Holy Spirit in your life, if you mitigate him or minimize him, if you do not learn what it means to be led by the Spirit, if you shrug him off or downplay the central role of the Holy Spirit in your discipleship to Jesus, you'll never be transformed to the degree that you really long for. You'll never become the person that God has created you to be. So let's go back. Picture number one, here's what we're learning. Picture number one, the Holy Spirit is Jesus living in us. He's the way we live with Jesus today. Picture number two, the Holy Spirit is the empowering presence of Jesus living in us. He is the way we are transformed to be more like Jesus day by day. Okay? Picture number three, John chapter 15. Let me set this up. We read in John 15, and I, I love this teaching of Jesus. It's one of my favorites in the Bible, and I know I always say that every passage is my favorite. It's always my, passage, my favorite when I'm preaching on it. But I, this one really is. But Jesus says in verse four, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Now, I love Jesus' confidence in us here. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And I'm like, thanks, Jesus. I mean, I would have said something like, apart from me, you can only do a little bit, not much, but a little bit. But nope, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, skip down to verse eight. He says, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So abide in Jesus divine, be with Jesus, be at home with Jesus, and you will bear much fruit. That's the command. And then we read how Paul riffs off this picture in John 15 in Galatians 5. Galatians 5, says, but the fruit, now what is Jesus talking about? He said, he talked about fruit over and over and over again. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And this, I would argue, is one of the most important passages in the New Testament. Now, this is so important, so very important. Galatians chapter 5 is a picture of the inner disposition of a disciple who has been transformed. Galatians chapter five is a picture of the inner disposition of a disciple of Jesus who's been transformed. This is what discipleship to Jesus looks like down the road. This is what the Spirit is working in us, being transformed as we live day by day. From the inside out, you become a person who is loving, at peace, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, marked by self-control. You become this kind of person. What kind of person is that? It's the kind of person who puts Jesus on display because this fruit is nothing less than the inner disposition of Jesus. This is Jesus' life on display here. Now, you got, you got to get this. 
This is not a list of behaviors. This is a description of the inner disposition that God, through the Holy Spirit, is working to develop in you and out of you. This is the fruit of the Spirit's ministry in your life. John 15, the command is to abide. That's how fruit is produced. Galatians 5, here's what Spirit-produced fruit looks like. And I like this graphic. Jesus is the vine. I, as a believer, am a branch and the Holy Spirit produces his fruit in me and through me. So this is not a list of commands, be more loving, be more joyful, be more peaceful, be more patient, have more self-control. No, again, this is a picture of the inner disposition that the Holy Spirit works into and out of our lives. It is an inner disposition that looks like Jesus. Now, actually, there is one command here, but it's kind of lost in translation from Greek to English, but it's that last line. Let us walk by the Spirit, or let us keep in step by the Spirit. He's talking about being led by the Spirit, which is just another way of saying abide in the vine. You see that? So let's review all three pictures now. Picture number one, the Holy Spirit is Jesus living in us. He's the way we live with Jesus today. The Holy Spirit is the empowering presence of Jesus living in us. He is the way that we are transformed to be more like Jesus day by day. And picture number three, the Holy Spirit is the one who produces Jesus-like fruit in our lives. He is the way we put Jesus on display. Three pictures, now one response. Make it your aim to be led by the Spirit. Make it your aim to be led by the Spirit. How do you do that? Well, first and foremost, you gotta build your life around the rock-solid Bible truth that your relationship with God, your ability to live as a disciple of Jesus is only possible through the person and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is Christ in you. The Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence in you to lead you, guide you, teach you, renew you, restore you, comfort you, correct you, embolden you, energize you, and to prompt you to make decisions in line with the will of God for your life. The way that we live as disciples, the way we change, the way that we put Jesus on display in, the, in this world is by being in the word and led by the spirit. In the word led by the Spirit. There is no other way. The life of a disciple is called walking by the Spirit for good reason. It is a walk. So make it your aim to walk by the Spirit. Make it your aim to be led by the Spirit. Okay, so how do you do that? I got a couple suggestions. Number one, invite the Spirit into every area of your life. Invite the Spirit into every area of your life. Okay, such as, all right, invite the Spirit into your Bible reading. I start every day with a CBR journal and I write a prayer on the top of the left-hand page. That's, and, and, I, and the first thing I write is, come Holy Spirit, and then I pause and I say, Holy Spirit, what should I ask you for next? And so some days I'll write something like, come Holy Spirit, speak to me in this word today. Or I might say, come Holy Spirit, give me wisdom from this word today. Come Holy Spirit, 
uh, show me Jesus in this word today. And so it's always amazing to me, like so many times what I pray for is exactly what's in the passage. Come Holy Spirit, show me, how, show me God's will in this, in this passage today and help me navigate life in this crazy messed up world. Invite the Spirit to open your eyes to see what God has to say for you each day. Second, invite the Spirit into your prayer life. Um, when I first wake up in the morning, lots of times before I get out of bed, I lay there and I pray, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to ask you for as I start this day? And, and, and the Spirit brings to my mind people, just pops in my mind, and I, be, and I pray for those people. Or the Holy Spirit might pop into my mind an event that's coming up. Uh, something's coming up and I need wisdom for that. Or something's going on in my family or here in the church or, or what's going on in the country that I need to pray for. Invite the Spirit into your prayer life. Invite him to guide you in what to pray for and ask God for. Uh, the third thing, invite the Spirit into your decision making. Ask the Spirit to guide you in every decision you make. Thinking about buying a new home, a new car, a new whatever, invite the Spirit to give you wisdom in making that decision. Those things are not just like your life and then you got your God life over here. No, invite the Spirit into that. Thinking about what job to take or what college to attend, invite the Spirit to open your eyes to see things more clearly. Invite the Spirit uh, to give you questions that you need to ask to see things more clearly. Ask the Spirit to give you the knowledge and the wisdom and the insight and the right desires you need to make any and all of your decisions. Invite the Spirit into your decision-making. And let me just add, invite the Spirit into the posts and comments you make in social media. And I'm not saying that to be funny, and I have more to say about it at the very end of the service, so you'll want to stay tuned to the very end. So make it your aim to be led by the Spirit by inviting the Spirit into every area of your life. Now, the second thing that you need to do uh, in order to make it your aim to be led by the Spirit is to create the conditions in your life to allow the Spirit to do His transforming work in you. The Holy Spirit produces the fruit. That's His job. Our job is to simply create the conditions in our life for the Holy Spirit to do a deep work of change. That's it. Your job is to be in the Word for yourself, expose yourself to biblical teaching, uh, participate in corporate and individual worship, surround yourself with God's people, set aside time for prayer, say no to more things, rest, slow down, simplify some things, create space in your life for the Holy Spirit to produce his fruit in and through you. Listen, in all, in, in all the business and chaos and distraction and insanity of this digital age we live in today, I mean, working two jobs, going to school, changing diapers, dealing with stuff breaking down, um, paying bills, this COVID pandemic that's disrupting all kinds of things, processing all the bad news on TV. It's, I mean, it's crazy, right? Your job in the midst of all of that is to create the conditions for the Holy Spirit to work change and transformation in your life because it's all God's work to change you. You simply abide. 
You simply walk by the Spirit. You live in that environment. You create that kind of environment. You let the Holy Spirit be the air that you breathe, and over time, you will change. Now, did you catch that? Over time, you will change. I recently became acquainted with a book entitled The Relational Soul by two former pastors, Richard Plass and James Cofield, and I'm finding it really helpful and uh, insightful. Here's what they say in their chapter on transformation. The truth about significant soul transformation is that change is possible, but it's harder than we want, and it takes longer than we expect. I mean, if you've been walking with Jesus for any length of time, would you not agree with that statement? Life change, like, God, why am I still doing this? Why can I get beyond this? It's harder than we want, and it takes longer than we expect. I mean, there, there, there's no silver bullet. There's no killer app. There's not like a new Apple technology coming out in 2020, like, oh, this is the new iOS for patients. I mean, this, here's, here's the new love, joy, peace device. I mean, it, it doesn't exist, and it's not going to exist in the future. And that's hard to swallow in our fast-paced smartphone world we live in today. But Jesus uses the metaphor of the vine and the branches to remind us just exactly how character is grown. It grows one inch at a time, not all at once. And listen, it does take a long time, but it also takes a lot of time. It is time-intensive. In a very real way, how fast you progress in your transformation depends in large part on how seriously you make it your aim to be led by the Spirit in every area of your life. Now, for most of us, to create the conditions in our life to allow the Spirit to produce His fruit in us, it does mean that we need to slow down and we need to say no to more things. And, and we need to simplify our lives in some ways. But even then, even if you slow your life down, even if you say no to more things, even if you simplify your life, even if you're fairly consistent at creating space in your life for the Spirit to work, guess what? It still takes time. Still takes time. So the operative word is patience. Be patient with God and be patient with yourself. And remember this, yes, change happens over time and change happens in hard times. If you ask people who've walked with Jesus for a long time, people who have become mature in their faith, if you ask them something like, what were some of the greatest moments in your life that brought about significant life change? Nine times out of 10, they will tell you about some hardship they went through. Well, it was when my, when my dad died. It was uh, when the guy that I thought I was gonna marry broke up with me. It was when my wife walked out on me. It was when I lost my job. It was when I was diagnosed with cancer. Whatever it was, most often, it was a time of hardship because the reality of it is, it is the very times that we hate that we want to avoid, that we kick and scream our way through, that we do everything we can to escape from, 
Those are the very times that the Holy Spirit is working to refine you and to change you and grow you to become more and more like Jesus. And every New Testament writer says that over and over and over again. One more time. The times that we want to avoid like the plague have the most potential to transform you. And I know some of you are going through a time like that right now. Make it your aim to walk by the Spirit through that time. Make it your aim to be led by the Spirit. Invite the Spirit into that. Your job at this time is not to take the easy way of escape. Your job is not to medicate, and your job is not to distract yourself. Your job is to create the conditions in your life so the Holy Spirit can work. Your job is to let patience have its perfect work in you so you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. That's it. But the truth is, we're all going through a very hard time right now, aren't we? I mean, this whole pandemic thing, has seriously disrupted our lives and people have all kinds of opinions about that. And, 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 and truly, it feels like our country is coming apart at the seams. And so I wanna close with this. This is based in part on my CBR journal entry from last Friday. Right now in the CBR journal, and I encourage you, if you're not doing it, do it. Be in the word, scripture saturated. Right now we're reading through 2 Thessalonians and my entry, my journal entry was from the first two chapters. Now actually chapter two is gonna be tomorrow but I couldn't quit reading in chapter one. I had to read to chapter two. So here's what I wrote. In this second letter to the church in Thessalonica, Paul begins again by giving thanks to God for the faith and love he sees in the church. He writes, your faith flourishes more and more and the love each of you have for one another is even greater. Now the thing about that is their faith and love are growing in the midst of great persecution and affliction. What kind of persecution and affliction? Godless people were making life harder and harder for the disciples of Jesus. But the Thessalonians' faith in God's sovereign control over the distressing events happening around them and to them, and their growing love for one another are the very things that Paul says puts Jesus on display. He says that in verse 20. The name of our Lord Jesus is being glorified in you and because of you. A strong faith and a visible love for others is what is most needed when godless people seem to be running the show. I wrote, let's be honest. Our nation is at a tipping point. Racial division and injustice, demonization of the police, violence and lawlessness are growing day by day unchecked. Basically, our leaders fall into two camps. If you take personalities out of the picture, you have one camp that says they're for freedom, equality, unity, law, and order. But sadly, so far, this camp has done very little to protect innocent people from the corruption in the streets. The other camp says they're for these same things, but it has yet to condemn the violence and lawlessness going on in the cities and states they govern. 
Rather, they actually celebrate and promote these things. We see mayors and governors refusing to deal with the lawlessness in their midst or to care for those whose lives and livelihoods are being destroyed by the lawlessness. And is this not bewildering? They're moving to defund the police and even allow new countries to be established in the heart of downtown. I mean, how can that be? But there's more. We see non-elected, rich, white technocrats censoring everything from Gone with the Wind to Paw Patrol. Cop shows are gone. They're talking about taking Andy Griffith off the air because here's the reasoning, and this is almost an exact quote. People may see good examples of law enforcement and think the police are better than they are. The pastor of the largest evangelical church in Alabama recently came under attack for liking a couple of conservative Facebook posts, and city officials have now refused to allow the church to continue to meet in the schools they had been meeting in as campuses. Campuses with black pastors. Campuses that were doing mentoring programs and teaching programs, after school programs. One of them running a clinic for the poor in that area. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. Now, here's the deal. The question is, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus in a world like this? What does it mean to be the church of Jesus in a world like this? That is the only question that matters. It's so easy to be pulled to the far left or the far right and lose sight of what God has called us to be and do. God has called us to put Jesus on display by maintaining a strong faith and a growing love for one another, by having our hope set on the coming of Jesus to set right what's wrong in the world. We do need to know what's going on around us, but even more, we need to know what God is up to. What is God doing? How is God working? We have to read ahead to chapter two to find out. Chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, tell us that God is sending a deluding influence on those who reject the truth. Listen to it. So they will believe what's false, and so all who have not believed the truth but have delighted in evil will be condemned. Think about it. Because they have rejected God and his truth, many of our leaders, both camps, believe what is false They're delighting in evil, they're deluded. I mean, how does refusing to deal with violence and lawlessness and injustice lead to more justice, freedom, equality, and unity? It doesn't. Make no mistake about it, God is at work in all of this showing us what is, showing his church what is true and what is false. But we're also told in chapter one that God is working in all this to refine us to make us worthy of the kingdom of God, verse five, to make us worthy of his calling, verse 11. In other words, only those who seek first God's kingdom and its righteousness will be able to stand firm in the midst of all this growing hostility. I'm gonna say this over and over and over again because God calls us to live out a strong faith and a visible love for one another in these days when godless people seem to be running the show. 
A strong faith and a growing love will empower you. It's the only thing that will empower you to thrive in the midst of what's going on and what is coming because we're not gonna just wake up one day and all this has evaporated. No, no. Only those who put God first, who abide in Jesus, who are being led by the Spirit are gonna make it through this time. What's gonna happen is things get worse as people are gonna leave the church. It's already started happening because of fear of the persecution that's gonna come. Other people are gonna get so wrapped up in far-left politics or far-right politics that they will essentially have no voice when it comes to the gospel. It's already happening. So how are disciples of Jesus to live in these days? Again, make it your aim to be led by the Spirit, not led by the news, not led by what somebody says in this most recent video. Be led by the Spirit. Invite the Holy Spirit into every area of your life. Create the conditions in your life for the Holy Spirit to speak to you and to change you. Don't be discouraged that the change is taking so long. Don't lose hope because of what's going on out there. Make it your aim to be led by the Spirit so you can put Jesus on display in your sphere of influence. And as you make it your aim to be led by the Spirit, you will become a person with a strong faith and a growing love for others, full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That's how you put Jesus on display today. Now I'll close with this benediction from 2 Thessalonians chapter two. I love this, it just seems so fitting. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by grace gave us eternal comfort and hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good thing you do or say. May God strengthen you in every good thing you do or say. Amen. Amen.